This is the first time. Troop Radio's live storytelling and music series recorded at Martyrs in Chicago's North Center neighborhood. Here's your host, Jen Sodini. All right, guys, enough about my financial and ankle woes. Let's get it started. We've got up first the sick, so be be gentle, but he's going to be awesome, Lawrence Peters. He's, I know, Chicago famous. Known for his involvement in Songs Ohio and Magnolia Electric Company, things I played so much when I was a DJ on Chirp. Um, he's got a singer-songwriter. He plays the washboard. He's got a show called Country My Way on WLPN, as in Mansi, 105.5 FM, Wednesdays 4 to 6 p.m. Guys, give it up. Lawrence Peters. Thank you, Jen. She's right, I'm sick. I, uh, I got off my, my deathbed to come down here. Because <laughs> I, 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 I've always really wanted to be part of this, uh, this, this uh, series. And uh, um, I've been asked, Julie's asked me a bunch of times, and finally the timing worked out, and then I got just decimated by this scunge over the last couple of days. Um, and I, I, I got to tell you, so one of the reasons that I, that, that was the last little piece to rise me off of my, out of my grave was uh, that I knew that these guys were going to be playing the song I picked, and I really wanted to hear it. <laughs> so, selfish, selfish reasons. All right. So, uh, like she said, I, I, uh, yeah, I'm going to be. This is not going to be my best, but uh, it's a good little story. I'm pretty excited about the story. We'll see. <clears throat> All right. So, in the fall of uh, 1984, I was a nerdy 19-year-old, starting my uh, freshman year of college at the University of Kansas. By the end of that year, I'd made the decision to use my deferral to CU and move back to Colorado, and I would have, but on the last day of school, I got arrested. I'd always felt a deep connection to Kansas, especially to the town of Lawrence, which I was named after, by the way. My family had been there for well over a century, and I'd spent a lot of time there growing up. But for my college experience, I wanted the Algonquin Roundtable, or the Harlem Renaissance, or Kerouac and his buddies. And instead, I felt like I'd gone from one white bread cow town to another. Uh, I was uh, just wrapping up my time in Kansas and imagining how cool Boulder was going to be when I got there. But there was a protest movement happening on campus. And it turned out that the University of Kansas had investments in Krugerrands. So my tuition was supporting South Africa's segregationist government. Not okay. There had already been a, a couple actions, and the, but the big one was planned for um, uh, as a march through campus on the last day of the semester, and I wanted to be part of it. The big day came, and we gathered for our pre-march huddle. A handful of us agreed to block the steps of the Endowment Association building in an act of civil disobedience, and when the cops came, we would refuse to move, and we would be arrested. The march was great. We started as a small group, but the word had gotten out, and by the time we got to the Endowment Association building, we had a big crowd. At the rally, everything went as planned, except for two things. We didn't actually go to jail, which was disappointing to my romantic notion of how this would go. <laughs> but more importantly, it meant that we didn't all stay together. We were separated and processed on the lawn, and the scary-sounding charge of criminal trespass was uh, thrown at us, and uh, we were aggressively dispersed. I didn't know 
any of my fellow protesters very well. And once we were split up, I lost contact with everybody uh, that had been part of it. This was in the pre-Facebook, internet, cell phone era. So it was, they were just missed. Um, so I was feeling isolated in this, but I figured everything would be cool. Uh, I gathered up my stuff, and I moved out to my aunt and uncle's farm outside of town, and I started making plans for getting back to Denver. <clears throat> about a week later, my aunt read an article about the protest in the local paper, which I hadn't told her about. She saw my name in the list of students arrested, and she was pissed. She told me I was being reckless and irresponsible, and that I wasn't thinking about my future, she also thought that protest wasn't a good way to change things. So, great. Now, up to then, it hadn't occurred to me that I might have to stay in town, but the timing uh, of the trial was going to be make that the case. So I was going to have to stay in town. There was no way I could get back to Denver and then come back for the trial. So that, uh, that summer was miserable and anxious. My family was angry at me. I was staying outside of town, so I was still isolated from everybody I'd marched with. And the only job I was able to get was digging ditches at a neighbor's farm. I'm not exaggerating about it, really. Literally, the real kind of literally. I was literally <laughs> digging ditches in a neighbor's farm and a bunch of other chores that just sucked. So this was all on my mind when the court date finally came. Uh, now, before the session officially started, the judge made a speech about how many of the people in the room were young and inexperienced, read naive, and had possibly been unclear as to, to the seriousness of their actions. So he offered anyone interested the option of walking away with a clean slate. Now, the more he said this, and the more he talked about it, and the more I thought about my situation with my family and jobs and all this other kind of stuff, it seemed like a pretty good choice and a, a good solution to my current problems. So I raised my hand with a few of the other folks, signed my name to the document that removed me from the trial, and I walked out of the courtroom. As I left the building, I had a brief sense of relief, thinking that I would tell my aunt, uh, it's cool, they gave us a, a pass, it's not going to go on my record, everything's fine, and all things would be made of, and I would have my family back. But that didn't last. As I stood there on the street with a burning feeling in the pit of my stomach, what I had signed, uh, sorry, time seemed to stop. It really, it really did seem to stop. And what I had signed on for with that protest seemed more important, and it was bigger than me and bigger than the opinions of my family, the cops, and the judge. I had this... Uh, I had this moment as I was churning all this through and thinking about what I was doing and what I'd done and what I wanted to do. And I felt like this non-essential part of me just burned away. And I decided that the man I wanted to be didn't take the easy way out. So <laughs> that was all well and good, but now I had to go and sort that out. So I walked back to the courtroom <laughs> And as you probably know, you don't just walk back into a courtroom, interrupt the proceedings, and say, hey, guys, I forgot to do the right thing, and I came back to correct that. Cool? <laughs> so instead, I stood in the doorway feeling like my face was going to catch fire from embarrassment and anxiety, and I waited for whatever reaction I was going to get from the people in power that were standing up there at the front. Eventually, the judge did notice me. <clears throat> 
and he was definitely annoyed, and he asked what I was doing at the back of his courtroom. I told him I wanted to rejoin the trial. <laughs> Didn't you just agree to take the offer and walk away? Yes, sir. Then why are you back? I want to see this through. It was important when I made the decision, and it's just as important now. Long pause. Well, this is highly unusual, but as long as you are aware of what you are doing, okay. So I sat down, still really not sure that I had made the right choice, honestly, and I braced myself for the trial, ready to accept the outcome, which was anticlimactic, to say the least. <laughs> it didn't take long for the defense to argue successfully that we had staged a nonviolent protest to make people aware of an insidious institution and the university's complicity in it, and he asserted that the cops and the judge were perfectly aware of this. It ended with the judge giving everyone an earful for wasting his time, and he let us go without a war with a warning. <clears throat> As we filed out, the organizer, a guy named Boog Heiberger, walked over to me with a couple of other leaders of the protest. He shook my hand and told me that he respected me for coming back in. We all ended up hanging out and talking for a while, and I, we might have gone and had lunch. I don't know. It was, a, it was a bunch of us. It was really cool. And honestly, for the first time in that moment, I felt that I had found my people. Not long after that, the university divested from Krugerrands. Success! <laughs> uh, so as a little side note here, um, so Boog, it really is his name, Boog, Car Boog Heiberger, uh, he went on to become the mayor of Lawrence, Kansas. <laughs> Not kidding. Several, uh, 20 years later. Uh, and he's actually, uh, he's a, a member of the House of Representatives. How cool is that? Um, so, <laughs> I missed my chance to go back to CU, and I dug in for another year at KU. I immersed myself in words and ideas and beer and drugs and sex, and I got a better job, one that I liked so much I stayed there for eight years. I found a downtown apartment through uh, some of my new co-workers, and I discovered that the weirdest kids in every small town in Kansas made their way to Lawrence, ready to break bad, and they all became my friends. They turned out to be the people that, I would, that would teach me about music and who I would go on to write songs about. And when I look back on that time, I think about that Tom T. Hall song, That's How I Got to Memphis. Does anybody know that song? Okay. It's, it's my favorite. It's my favorite Tom T. Hall song, which is saying a lot because that guy, whew, the best. Um, so anyway, it's, it, it reminds me of that song with its story about how passion for something will take you to places that you didn't expect. Uh, and on a hot summer day in Kansas, I committed to what I thought was right, and I stuck it out, and that choice put me exactly where I needed to be. Thanks. Go. 
That's how I got to Memphis That's how I got to Memphis I know if you'd seen her You'd tell her cause you were my friend If you tell me that she's not here I'll follow the trail of her tears That's how I got to Memphis That's how I got to Memphis listening to a Chirp Radio podcast of our live storytelling and music series, The First Time. Our storyteller was Lawrence Peters, and The First Time 3 performed How I Got to Memphis by Tom T. Hall. The First Time 3 is Liam Davis, Gerald Dowd, and Scott Stevenson. To hear more First Time pieces, check out the series website, firsttime.chirpradio.org. You can find other podcasts produced by the station at chirpradio.org slash podcasts. Chirp Radio, hear what's next.